Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome. Today is March 16th, the day before St. Patrick's Day, and my favorite Aunt Patty's birthday, (laughs) um, 2015. And I am here with Kim Potter um, to talk about Secrets of Lasting Change Revealed. And I have a feeling that we may be talking this chapter about the nature of anxiety based on the article from Annette or something related to that. So anyway, thank you. I did that just as a suggestion if you, you know, you didn't have something in mind. I mean... Well, um, actually, I thought it was curious because remember a a few of our first conversations when I asked, I didn't say stress, I I didn't say anxiety as much as I used the word stress. And you said, oh, that's too surfacy. So it's like I wouldn't have come up with it, but you know what? If at this stage you think it's appropriate, I'm cool with it. What do you you have in mind if it wasn't that? Do you have anything in mind? Well, I mean, this would be be our last um, chapter, you know, I mean. I mean, we haven't made a determination in terms of the order of things, but actually, I think they work well, reasonably well, the way that um, the way that we've discussed it. Um, I really was kind of thinking that trying to convince you to go back to stress with anxiety, to tell you the truth. So when I read that article and you said possible uh, conversation, you know, because I I think it's the emotional terminology that most people will recognize. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, we do it just to get a response to pull people in. But um, well, well, let me ask you a couple questions first because sure. I'm, like, I'm like just the last week or so I'm first seeing, you know, the, um, the, um, the website and everything. All right. And yeah. I also briefly looked over the, uh, the um, uh, bio for you, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, my assumption, tell me if I'm incorrect, would okay. be that the purpose of this thing is to sell blueprint for changes. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, Annette is a good writer, a little bit yeah. um, academic, all right? Yeah. You know, yeah. which is not surprising at all. Um, yeah. But when you start talking about marketing writing, I mean, you're really kind of in my wheelhouse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And um there's nothing like incorrect about the way she's written things. You know, there's nothing I can fault her in terms of just providing information, but in terms of it being persuasive and encouraging people to take action, even if the action is just to click to the next page. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's missing something. I don't know. Okay. 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 What, we, what we did, our main, pe- and I mean, this is not 
um, an excuse. The goal was we have a professional page that's in the works. And our home page, I mean, that's our biggest target is the professionals. So right. we, we had to upgrade the home page. And the goal, the target, the problem was not to make it threatening. Um, you can so easily intimidate people that, you know, mainstream per se. That's not everybody, but let's say an average. So we had to go a little bit more than what we would to incite the professionals to go onto the professional page. The, so, the um, poor healthcare professionals page. Yes, yes, yes. So it was like, well, we can downplay it and make it more entertaining, but we're going to lose the professionals. Okay. We want, All right. want, yeah, that was the whole goal. I think fundamentally we achieved it, but the the call to action is what we're working on now is to stimulate people into an action rather than, you know, reading doesn't necessarily stimulate an action. So that's well, what we're working on right now. Reading can and does stimulate action if it's written for that purpose by yes. someone who knows how to do that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, people buy based on emotion and they back it up with logic, you know. Yes. Yeah. So like for healthcare professionals, I might start something with, you know, aren't you frustrated going round and round in circles with your clients and they don't get the results you would love to see? You know, something more like that. Yeah, but you that, know? Will be on, that will be on the professional page. Right, and, and I see nothing uh, yeah. on the professional page right no. now. No, we're, it's, a, it's a qualification entry where they have to be pre-qualified to get in and that's what we're working on. I mean, that's like the last couple of weeks has been our right. activity in, in getting this page together. But basically along those lines, we just got to be careful that, you know, the mainstream can't see it because right. we've got to be careful, you know, what we say. We've got to be very careful. So um, one thing I would suggest in terms of our article is that she has statistics about anxiety disorders and things like that um, yeah. for Canadians. And Americans. Yeah, I know, but here's the thing. Canada has a population of 27 million. America has a population of 332 million. And, you know, I mean, you're a person where you've lived in different countries. You're very international. But mm -hmm. the majority of people in the U.S., it's like once they're off our borders, unless they're on vacation for a couple of weeks, once they're off our borders, they don't relate to statistics and numbers and stuff like that from other countries. You know, they'll be like, oh, well, unless, oh, well, that's, oh, well, unless, that's Canada. That doesn't necessarily unless, apply here. Unless you look at it the way we did it, it's 12% there and 18% here. Why? Why is it the highest in the United States? Then why not? Right. Then why not yeah. do something that's like, you know, pick out three or four westernized countries, you know, and say it's 12% it's in Canada, it's 11% in West Germany, it's 
so much in the UK and it's 18% here. Why? Yeah. We you can know. do that, but you've got to take in, you know where Annette's from, right? I know. She lives in Canada. Yeah, so she's marketing to a, to a Canadian base up there. That's where her contacts are. So, you know, that's that's part of this is is North America, which includes Canada. And I'm just letting her flow right now. That that um, that blog got five times the response than any other blog that she has done for me. Five well, times more. Yeah, so good. we're trying to work it out why, because I didn't think it was the best one I've seen from her, but it was five times more successful in creating action. And and five times more successful doing what? What is what was it? What was the what were Getting you measuring? Clicks, people clicking okay. on to and 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 going on to other um, clicks as well was five times more successful, five hundred percent more than any other blog. And I'm like, we got to understand why this is, because I I. I thought the one on um, Disconnection was actually a better blog. Right. I would agree with you. But five times higher than that. So we don't know what happened. We we don't quite understand yet. And we're like trying to get, you know, analyze it all. And nothing's coming up as logic to why that was more successful. Right. Okay. I think I think possibly the image that she used. The guy looks pretty male, stressed. <laughs> yeah, using you a know? male instead of a typical female, which you see a lot in these. That mm-hmm. that was a play. That was a decision to do that, to use a male instead of a female. Right. Now, if that's the only factor, then that's very interesting to make it five times more successful. But anyway. Right. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, let's let's talk about stress and anxiety because quite honestly, I really felt like that's, you know, coming back around again full circle. I think that would be um sort of like the nature of it so people understand this isn't this isn't normal. I think we all think it's almost just normal. Not desirable, but it's just normal like everybody's like this. You know. Okay. Let's see where it goes. Okay. I'll let you lead. Oh, <laughs> okay. So let's just talk in general, um, just kind of a kind of a definitions about the out the um, the nature of stress and anxiety. First off, like, what? How would you define? You know, because I know that definitions of words are important to you. How would you define? stress and anxiety, and what do you see as the difference between the two? Mm, I don't think there is a difference between the two. I think the the crossover, the gray area between the two is very large. Um, one, one could be calling something stress where another person, if we could measure going through exactly the same, could be classifying it as anxiety. So I think it's their base education of what they believe it is themselves. But both of them are emotional addictions that are very destructive. Mm-hmm. 
both of them, well, because any emotion is addictive. Yeah, I think what I explain to people into understanding a feeling and an emotion, um, and, and stress and anxiety are not a feeling. They're both emotional levels, so the comparable feeling associated with them doesn't really exist. But what I explain to people is let's let's do a little visual experiment. And we have a one-story home, a front door, a back door, you know, living room, dining room, um, living, you know, et cetera, et cetera, kitchen. And we take the roof off. And their task is to guide somebody with a white stick, hence a blind person, through this home. Um, and you're allowed, you know, you oversee how this individual uses your directions. And what are they using the white stick for? The white stick is a tool to feel their way through, the keyword feel. So they're using responses, um, sound, vibration from the white stick to feel their way through an environment. Now, in the middle of the living room is a round table. And you've been giving these people directions and perfecting. And you're telling them that they come through the door to the living room, they walk four paces in front of them, they will find a round table. Immediately turn to the right and approximately five paces is a door into the kitchen. And they've been very successful with this, this one task until this one person comes through with their white stick and they find the table and they start feeling their way around the edges. They did not take the right turn. And they are feeling their way around and around and around in a circle. Now, visually, what this person has done has fallen into an emotion. Emotions are repetitive in nature. And this person is stuck. And from within that emotion, it's impossible to feel your way out because the person has totally lost their bearing. Now, that's the difference between a feeling and an emotion. Once we've stimulated an emotion, which is a chemical stimulation, it's not possible to feel. We're now at an addictive level of feeling, hence emotional. So whatever label you want to put on it, um, that's an emotion. Now, stress, I can see at many levels in many people's lives. Anxiety is a totally man-made. It is not a natural environment. It is not found in nature. And to break down anxiety, basically, is the anticipation of we are anticipating something. And there's all different levels of anxiety from fear-based anxiety, anxiety, internal anxiety, where the person does not express it. All of these are damaging. Now, to roll anxiety into stress, there's such a crossover area that's gray, it's very hard to define, determine between the two. And I ask, 
Is it necessary to have to determine if it's stress or anxiety? It is still an addiction. If somebody is addicted to alcohol, is it necessary to define whether it's wine or beer? I say no. It's still an addiction, and the addiction right. needs to be addressed. What do you see, Kim, uh, you know, as the difference between a, a feeling and an emotion in terms of definitions? I know you said a feeling is something that allows us to kind of feel our way around, you know, like you're talking no, about the feel blind way person. Feel our way through. A feeling feel is designed our way to through. Yes, to navigate through a situation. Now, one would argue that anxiety or stress is navigating their way through a situation, but the end result is it's repetitive in nature. They okay. they may they may be able to. Um, locate a door out, but they choose not to because it's an addiction that's repetitive. That's an that's an important distinction, and it's interesting because you're using the idea of feeling your way through situations. Where I think if you asked a lot of people, they would say that they try to think their way through situations. Well is still utilizing information that is obtained from the environment to move on, to move through. The information in the environment and the motion is stimulating much higher levels of, of chemistry, thus the addiction. So we're now feeding off the addiction. It's, it's a totally different... Um, it, it, you can look at the hamster on the wheel. And, you know, the hamster's not going to get anywhere on the wheel. Now, if we look at feeling our way through, which is a format of evolution, feeling our way through, surviving, is more like a coiled spring. As we go through the coils, we're progressing further and further and further and further through from from the starting point. But there there's a repetition of experiences that we are utilizing information to move on from. Now, when we fall into behavioral issues, this information, um, uh, there's a lesson in every experience. And I hear this utilized many, many times. The lesson in the experience is evolution. We get better at what we're doing. Now, that means positive or negative. So if we're in an emotional experience, we're getting better at doing that. We're getting better to be able to locate experience, that emotion, that chemistry. The lesson is not to do something different. That lesson is out of that sequence to to utilize an alternative stimulation. That an alternative is not an experience within the original. So there's a lot of um, misuse 
of the term lesson in every experience? Lesson in every experience. I think based There's on what I've learned. Yeah. Right. opportunity to learn. There's right, a lesson. right. It's like we're learning to get better. That's the evolution. Right. I think based on what I've learned from you over the last few months, I can really see how people get the wrong lesson. Um, no, they get the right lesson. You, you, can't, you can't judge. If we looked at um, the sequence, a program of the brain that's creating an experience, to realistically understand it, we need to look at a robot. And if we look at the robot's programming, can we say that that programming is negative or positive? We can't. It's just going to stimulate, engineer exactly what the robot's supposed to do, whether that is deemed as what we wanted it to do or it's an error. It's still what it was supposed to do from the relative programming. So when we look at behaviorism, I think it's a big mistake to look at negative and positive. Now, I agree the outcome of that, the symptom of that, can be deemed negative or positive, but not the initial stimulation. That is doing just what it's supposed to do. Well, what I was thinking when I kind of asked that question to you is you, when you're working with clients, spend... Um, a fair chunk of your time getting people to acknowledge that they're the common denominator in all their experiences. And it's not their wife or their ex-wife or their kids or their boss or their whatever. It's them. You know? um, that's, that's not such a hard lesson. That's not such a hard lesson to teach people because you, you, you know, you, you hear several experiences and I say, so Unfortunately, those people aren't here today, correct? And they will agree with me. And I said, so who's here today? Oh, you are. Oh, and you happen to be the common denominator in all of these experiences. So if you lay it out with logic, it's easy to understand. You're the only person here, so you're the only person we can talk to. So let's deal with you. Excuse me? I said, so let's deal with you. Yes. So right? the, the common denominator factor is it sometimes catches people by surprise because they have these stories, these stories, these stories, these stories, and it's like, whoa, 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 stop. They sound very similar. And they go, yeah, we're different people. I go, no, the same person. What do you mean? I go, who was present at all of these experiences? So it's just a case of getting somebody to stop and absorb rather than to just keep into the response mode. Because if they're just responding to information you're giving them, it's surface level. Right. Why are we so stressed? Um, 
the requirement for addictive stimulation. I mean, it's it's everything we feed on. Competitiveness. Um, it, it's the nature of our society. I don't think there's a real definitive answer to why. I think the recognition is first the fact that we are and then take the we out and bring it down to an individual and it's like, why am I so stressed? You know, I'm writing a book and a book is for we, you know, so, and I I think people, people like to feel like they're not alone, you know. Uh, But that's the mistake because then there's other people. So I'm just like them, right? You know, I hear many times that, oh, but everybody does that, right? And I go, we're not talking to everybody. We're talking to you. So if we, if we work out that this is, this is the norm, this is the percentage of people to be stressed at different levels in the United States, this is the norm for anxiety. So people go, oh, so I'm normal. So that's okay then. So my behavior is okay. So these people that are being complaining, they're wrong because I'm normal. And you can see how that information is being utilized as a denial aspect. Well, but it, whether or not it's normal or not um, has little to, you know, I mean, I could look at it and I could say, well, okay, maybe it's normal, but I still don't like it. You know, that's that's an individual. It's not a we. The we is normal, but then you said, but I'm saying, and that's exactly what I said. We take the individual out of we. We don't take the individual out of we, and then you said, but we're writing a book for we. And I said, no, it's for the individual. Right. Because Um, if we, we will remain we. Because that's concentrating on everybody else, and it's far easier to do that. I think the things that people let themselves get stressed by are far more powerful now than they were years ago. I agree. Okay. So when I look at things like global competition in business, yeah. or the the imperative that you stay young, even if you're not young anymore, right? You know, in terms of, you know, women getting Botox and doing whatever to look, you know, decades younger than they are. And, you know, there are just an awful lot of factors out there, um, things that are constantly interrupting us. You know, you have to make a conscious effort to turn things off. Um, constant negative headlines in the news, you know. Um, I think it's much more easy to get stressed than it was years ago as a result of those things. Uh, When I grew up as a kid in this country, Kim, it's like Mm -hmm. news was a half hour in the evening. I agree. You know, and now it's, 24 hours a day on like four or five different networks. Well, let me ask you then. 
Is it the availability of information has been a factor on this? And the answer has to be yes, whether that be books, whether that be social media, whether that be television. There's too much information. Right. Information overload. Yeah. Well, not overload. It's the more we inform the brain, the more we perceive we need. You know, if if there wasn't television, you know, to the extent of social media, um, maybe people wouldn't be judging themselves to what is norm. Wouldn't be aware of what's been going on over the, the other valley that people are all flocking to to be younger. So they stay content. But this is this is all marketing. You know, and I, I think that it's all designed to take as much money out of your pocket as possible. You know, they can work out what the average person, you know, pays on this and this and that. Oh, but there's this percentage here left over. What do you mean when you say there's this percentage over here left over? What do you mean by that? It's all designed. If you still have money in your pocket, there's got to be a market. find a way to take it. Yes, yes. And the value. There was um, an individual that did a TED Talk. I, I can't remember his name. And um, he, he gave a very, it's a very interesting talk. And it was about manipulation. And um, he gave this example of um, there was this weekend offered. And it was a free weekend in Paris. Everything paid. The flight, the taxi to the hotel, everything or a weekend in Rome, all expenses paid, exactly the same. And, you know, it was hard getting people to make a decision. Is it going to be Paris or is it going to be Rome? So they wanted to manipulate one of those. And let's say it's Paris. So what they did, they put a third option in. And the third option was exactly the same as the first, a weekend in Paris, all expenses paid, apart from you have to pay for your own coffee. So they had an A. Pay for your own what? Coffee. So A was a weekend in Paris, all expenses paid, everything paid. Or B, a weekend in Rome, all expenses paid. Or C, a weekend in Paris, all expenses paid, but you've got to pay for a cup of coffee. And by the way, the cup of coffee was $7.50, say. That swayed everybody, the highest percentage, to choose A, a weekend in Paris, because it was a a manipulation of more value in that. So then they switched it, and they did exactly the same with Rome, and they did the same. And it was like, this is getting interesting. So next, he had an audience, and um, he, you know, this is all past tense of what he did. Um, He had two pictures of two similar-looking brothers, and he asked women of the audience, who would you like most like want to go on a date? And it was about 50-50, but he wanted to sway it one way. So they got a brother, they photoshopped, and slightly, slightly put his nose out of alignment, one eye a little smaller, so, so minimal you can hardly notice, but they had a seat. And what this did is now they have a comparison to put more value in A. 
the highest percentage of women chose A. Now, they did the same with B, and exactly the same. Now, this is manipulation. And this is how we buy our clothes and buy our food. Where it's placed on the shelf, the pricing, the, the buy to get one free, it's all a format of manipulation. It's not to do with cost. It's manipulation. It's very cleverly done, and we are not aware of it. Now, this opens up of how hard it is to start to understand ourselves because we need to step out of that and start to be aware of something we haven't been aware of. Maybe all our lives. Do you think it's hard, more difficult for people to make decisions um, when they're bombarded? I mean, I to me the answer is yes. When they're bombarded with stress and anxiety than when they're in a more relaxed, peaceful place? Of course. Right? Of course. Yeah. Yes, but, but, but that's like asking the alcoholic... Um, do you feel you make better decisions when you're not intoxicated than when you are? They're going to say with logic, yes. But that logic isn't going to necessarily follow over as a practice because then we're not fully understanding the power of the addiction. So we can teach them logic, but the logic comes out of play as soon as an addiction is because the same logic cannot be utilized. But that's really powerful, Kim, when you say it's the same as a making, asking an alcoholic, do you make better decisions? You know, when you're drunk or sober, you know, it's, it's like you're saying stress and anxiety are just as damaging to our ability to make wise choices as any other addiction, including alcoholism? Um, yes, it is. Um, but we've got to look at functionable. With stress and anxiety, pretty much, we have to be functionable. Um, with something of a substance, we can pick and choose when we utilize that substance. So we can put ourselves to a non or unfunctionable level within certain parameters, recognizing that through the daylight hours, say, we have to be functionable to work. But in the evenings, we don't have to be functionable to work. So the difference with between, let's say, alcohol or a drug compared to stress or anxiety is we typically remain at a functionable level to, a, to the highest percentage. And it's a lot harder to recognize this as a format of an addiction because we don't have measuring sticks, meaning how much volume we're consuming, how much money we're spending. So an internal addiction has its own handicaps in attempting to identify the individual exactly what's going on. 
because it's happening behind our nose. It's not anything that we can typically use a traditional measuring stick for. So I like I like the distinction between internal addiction and external addiction. You know, with internal being, it's going on all inside of you rather than something you can point to outside of yourself, like drugs, alcohol, gambling, whatever. Yes, yeah. But in every case, what's holding together the external is an internal addiction. And if we were to tackle the emotional addictive part, the external addiction will start to fall away. One of the things you can you can tell me if you think this isn't if if you think this doesn't fit or not, but you know one of the things that I've noticed just in the last couple years mm-hmm. and and I think it's due to stress and anxiety, but I'm not a professional like you are is people just for lack of a better phrase, I'll say like not paying attention. Um, not paying attention or paying attention, which you need well, to define. Well, like for for example, let's say I send someone. You know, I use social media for marketing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say I send someone a paragraph about you know to answer some questions that they had. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, an email or a message on LinkedIn or something of that nature, okay? Not extensive, just, you know, say a paragraph, okay? Yeah. And I answer their questions because, you know, I want to answer their questions, right? Yeah. And they come back and ask me questions about the information that I've already answered. It's like they didn't even read through the reply. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that has to do with information overload. It's like people skim, people take shortcuts, people do things due to living in this constant state of stress and anxiety that they wouldn't ordinarily do if they were rested, relaxed, peaceful, and efficient, you know? Yeah, it's getting harder. I mean, Annette's blog on... Um, uh, disconnection um, was very exactly on this subject right now of how bad it's come um, you know to you know even teachers now are looking ways to entertain the children while they're educating yeah yeah and I mean it's getting problematic and I mean if we just say, I'm sure we've come up before, autism, I'm seeing it more and more coming up that in the next 10 years is expected to be 50% of children. And that's I know, that's years. crazy, that statistic. You've told me that it, a long it, time ago. It just blows my mind. The education system cannot accommodate that. And it's not in 10 years, it's already starting to fracture with the increased rate. That's just, you know, autism. What about ADHD? You know, 
obsessive compulsive, all of that's going to start increasing as well. And what's happening? And I think the underlying cause is we we have no value for physical survival. That's been, you know, we don't go hunting each day. We go shopping once a week, every two weeks. We got vehicles, you know, cars. Is So it's emotional. And the evolution of emotional survival is rapidly increasing. So we need more and more and more of this. Now, you know, it's very easy to take that generalize it so it's happening to everybody well everybody is a group of individuals and we're all waiting or have been waiting for somebody else to point the way and that's not the answer the answer is every individual to take responsibility one at a time here's what I'm wondering based on all these conversations we've had the last few months and you know and you've talked about just off the charts rates of autism happening is you told me a few weeks ago about I'm not sure I think it was the photographer who started using blueprints for changes and yes. her child who was having nightmares and facial tics and all this just Insomnia. becoming normal and peaceful right? Even though the Blueprints for Changes was intended for the parent, right? Yes, it was. And I'm making the cause and effect link, and I could be completely incorrect, all right, that is it the parent's stress and anxiety that's creating these crazy levels of autism, ADHD, things of that nature? Um, I wouldn't wouldn't captivate it all in just stress and anxiety, Um, I would just put it more general that a child does not learn monkey see, monkey do, as was thought many years back. It's brain structure to brain structure. So the state of mind of mother and father, but predominantly mother, has an effect on the children. So the design factor of Blueprint is to work through an individual's brain. And it's an individual's brain that basically creates their jigsaw puzzle of life, which include their children. Now, we've had something just happen. We can't verbalize it, and it's not something I... I can really encourage people to do, but I just recently had the opportunity to work talk with somebody, and a later point I met their son, and their son is chemically unbalanced. I mean, there's something very wrong. He's probably late 20s, early 30s, like wide-eyed, big bushy beard, hair, just, you know, can't stand still. And um, I asked him real quick when he came. I said, Dave, which symbol do you like? And he chose a symbol. And um, the mother, um, like, played it while he was over and then started playing it in silence. 
within a couple of days, she's calling me. It's like you can't. I can't believe what's happened. He's nice. He's. I'm like. Uh, I can't believe it either. And she's going. What is it? And I said, Well, we can't determine if it's a symbol or your brain. And we don't really need to. Something is working beyond expectations here. And she goes, I cannot believe it. And I said, well, don't keep saying that. Now, this is not something I would encourage people to do. I can't say, well, you know, go behind their back and do this without them knowing. But we can't determine what's done this. Um, And there's a long history of this behavior with this person. And a very short history of something coming out that nobody's aware of. So we don't know quite what's happening. I favor that it's the mother's brain. You favor that it's the mother's what? Brain. Brain, A change in the mother's brain that, that has offered him an opportunity not to be stimulated historically mm-hmm. the same way. You know, we can't put we can't put this in. We're working out a way to get a testimonial out of this, and you know, so we don't know quite how to handle it yet. But but you know, by taking responsibility, and I mean, for a mother, she always puts her children first, even though we're taught to put ourselves first. But yeah, but yeah, I know that. But uh, you know, my children come first. Well, if we could give people experiences of what the outcome by putting yourself first. You know, with autistic children, they know to change the stimulation of the environment is the biggest effect that um, has been measured. And what does that mean? Change the stimulation, change the environment. Well, what about changing the stimulation of adult brains around these children? That is their environment. That's what they're feeding from. But how do you do that? Well, we fall into this thing by not doing what you've been doing. Well, what's that? And there's a fine line between helping and then the individual saying, well, you're telling me I'm responsible for this? (laughs) Fundamentally, yes. You know, if you want a blunt answer, yes. But we can't say that. So it's a very fine line to take somebody through this journey, start to see changes in their child without the person, the adult, falling into an addictive level. It's like, wow, so I'm the one that caused all this, right? And I go, what are you talking about? And they go, well, if I'd been able to change this, I must have been. And it's like, don't go there. And they start to put them into a blame me. Yeah. Yeah, and another which, which doesn't level. serve any, any worthwhile purpose. Yeah. So it's a fine line, and we've got to be careful on how much we educate. And it, it, the simple thing is put yourself first. Do this for you. Right. That's, 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 that's the only reason we need. Now, doing something for us may not appease everybody around us because we are altering, stimulating their brain differently. 
and they might not be comfortable, even though it might potentially be a desirable way stimulation. People respond very differently. So do you think, I'm kind of like, you know, jumping back. I mean, that is like so rife with so many things you can say because we've always known the parents influence their children and we've always known that it's not necessarily based on, you know, telling your child do this or don't do that. You know, it there there is some of it that's based on an example, but I love your whole thing about it it goes from brain stimulation to brain stimulation because I think that explains so much. I think that's I think well, that's really, really big. Huh? It, 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 they've they've ruled out monkey see, monkey do. You know, the parents smoking a cigarette in front of the child saying, Don't do this when you're older. Those words have no effect. It's right. the brain stimulation that is transferring to the child. So they get the, a similarity in brain stimulation, and then they hear the words, don't do this, but it's in two different departments of the brain. So now there's this conflict. They know that it's not right, but they feel they need to do it. Well, they know it's not right, but they feel they need to do it, so they start to resist it, what we resist versus, and they actually stimulate the behavior. Right. From, you know, if, if the parent wasn't, didn't say, don't do this, you know what? It might have a very difficult, a different consequence. Do you Fine. think, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish your thought. I, I apologize. I'm saying if they didn't put the words in, don't do this when you're older, it might have a totally different consequence of a child not also smoking. Right, right. Well, I think that's so dumb, you know, to say don't do this and the parent is doing it, you know, like smoking for an example, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think that people who live with a lot of stress and anxiety are jumping from one amygdala hijacking to the next? Yes, absolutely. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. it right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, they're, they're, so, so they're really the brain, not a choice. Well, not within that, no. You've hit it right on the nail. No, there's really not a choice. There isn't a choice. If you want to play that game, play the game. There isn't a choice in the game. You go, well, I can go somewhere different. And I go, well, let's go back to the Einstein statement using the brain the same way, expecting a different result. It doesn't matter where you are. You're going to play the same game. So don't play it. Well, how do I do that? You do nothing. Do you think, I'm just fishing here, all right, do you think that people who, all right, I think when I encounter people who are living in a lot of stress and anxiety, their mindset seems to be very victim mentality. Um, it, it, can, it can vary. There's both sides. Like, I don't have any choice. I have to do this. Da, 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 da. 
Yeah, but then they may be blaming somebody else for that, so they become a predator in their behavior. At the same role, they're playing a victim as well. So we've got to be careful by labeling. You know, if you look at life, there's all these victims. There's not many predators. See, I think whenever... I think whenever you're trying to put something on others or try to get others to change, you live in a victim place because you have no control over others. You only have control over yourself. Exactly. You know, it's just a you know, it's a misunderstanding of who we are as an individual. And we live so much in our sensory mind. And our sensory mind is sensatory. It's everything external. Think about it. Everything external. And it misses the most important factor out. And that's us. Who's on the other side of that? That is not sensatory. Think Think about that. Sensatory uses our senses. That's everything external. It's external, and the problem is, we that, need to I understand. I think that I just get scared just thinking about it. You know, think, think about it. What that means? Sensatory. And everything else is non-sensatory, which is nonsense. Let's just put that into an equation. So the nonsense, the nonsensory is nonsense. So kick that out the door. So let's go with sensatory. That's everything external. Touch, smell. Come on, it's all external. So are we going to find the answer? answer right there. No, it's internal. Well, that's the non-sense that you kicked out of the door. And you, you can see what a trap we've fallen into. We've become sensatory creatures. And mm-hmm. we've eliminated 90% of our brain. It doesn't exist. Basically, that's what research in the past told us. It was misleading. Right. You know, we've got ourselves into a mess and it's not improving. We can keep complaining or we can do nothing. And doing nothing is in the answer. It's part of the answer. Not to do what you've done before. Right. So if I can, I'm just using I or a reader, you know, as an yeah. example, right? Yeah. If I can remove myself from stress and anxiety by stopping and slowing down and just maybe tuning out the distractions, the stress, the 120 emails a day, the whatever, all right, and make decisions from that place, 
I really can be much more powerful as a person. I I remember somebody whose occupation involved traveling as a woman years ago, and she was telling me how stressful, how stressful her life was. And it really came down to how stressful my job was. And, you know, really, her job was de-stressing people. But how stressful that was. I mean, <laughs> the irony in that. I help people to de-stress, but how stressful it is. She's always traveling, you know, running late and that. And I said, there's got to be a different way to do this. Well, that was an insult. It's 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 discrediting her logic, her intelligence, her being a human being by working, you know, that I'm saying that she's inefficient at what she's doing. Well, like the massage therapist, you said, isn't there a better way you can do this? You know, this is it. This is it. Ah, okay. Okay. And, um, a couple of weeks later, she called me and said, you know what? I had a strange experience today. I re-looked at my schedule and I made a few adjustments and I had time left over in the day. I go, uh-oh, uh-oh. She goes, what do you mean? I said, you didn't fill it up with another appointment, did you? She laughed and she goes, I get it. I, I understand. And I said, I just wanted you to realize. And she goes, how? How did that work? I actually got the same. No, she goes, no, I actually was more efficient, but I had more time, and I'm less stressed. How did that work? Mm-hmm. I said, you just said it. You said, what? I said, less stress. Yeah. Now, the education there is stress does not make us more efficient, which we feel it does. Stress burns up more energy. Like people who say, I work better under pressure. Yeah, right. Well, I know, but I'm just, you know, I'm just saying that's a common thing that people say is, oh, I work better under pressure. Well, there's, 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 you know, there's so many determinations and need to be that. Do the the individuals procrastinate, procrastinate, and then they finally get things done, you know, like, they they have a monthly quota and they always do it in the last week. Mm-hmm. It's like they're addicted to stress. They go, well, well, no, I had to get it done. I said, well, you piled it up to get your fix. And and they go, you know, well, I don't get it. And it's like, okay, so what we're going to do next month is we're going to do we're going to do half your work in the first week. And they go, well, that'd be great. That take the pressure off. So they go through, and we've actually done, small, you know, not for a whole month, shown people this, and guess what? They always leave the other half to the last minute. Hmm. Yeah, their quota of chemical addiction. Because they have to have it over and over and over again. Exactly. Right. It's an addiction. Right. And unless it's understood as an addiction, give it up because you won't work your way through this. If you understand that it's going to attempt to come back and stimulate you, then you've got a better chance.
And I think because it's internal, we don't realize how much it impacts, um, you know, number one, just our health, but also the ability to make decisions. Because if, if, if a person who's living with a lot of stress is constantly under amygdala hijacking, it's like, I mean, to how, me at least, that seems like poor quality of life. How would a turtle know or a tortoise know how heavy exactly. yeah. his, his shell is and what a burden his shell is? He can't possibly know, can he? Unless he would rid himself of that perceived handicap. But then the tortoise would go, well, you don't understand. I need this. I need it. You don't understand. And we can put ourselves in a very similar situation with our emotional addiction. Right. And I think for a lot of people, the idea of being free of that is almost unthinkable because they just don't know anything different. They don't know like what's on the what's on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And how would they? Right? It's it's really not on the other side, it's within. Right. You know, it's not you got you gotta step out of yourself to find the other side. But you know, be careful you don't fall into literally what that means. To step out of yourself is to see, catch yourself in action. What This is what you typically do and just make a decision right now to do nothing. It's basically stepping out of yourself. But you do it internally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of... There's a lot of, you know, become the observer and it's like, you know what? <laughs> that's that's next to impossible. You know, you you can't do that. You can't step out of yourself and be an external observer. You can catch glimpses of yourself. You can right. become more aware of what's happening to observe? I don't know about that word. I think it's been wrongly utilized. Right. Stress and anxiety. I mean, it's... When I thought 18%, I really thought those numbers were quite low. Um, Well, 18%, that would be that's been diagnosed. That you know, that's what's being diagnosed. A lot of people don't recognize they're addicted to, you know, Oh, anxiety. sure, sure, So sure. That, that seems to be a high number, but low in actual, you know, whichever way you want to look at it. So, you know, I had that conversation with Annette, and I said, well, I said, approximately over 30% of our symbols are targeting anxiety. So I said that 18 sounds low to me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, you know, signs starting at 11 years of age. That was a surprise. You know, that it's been recognized that early. 
Right. I think this is going to be a good chapter. I want people to, if the shoe fits, I want them to really see themselves in this chapter. Yeah, it's going to be a high percentage of people. And it's all it is is to catch little phrases where it stops and they think. Mm-hmm. There was, um, I didn't get a chance to read the paragraph. I've been busy last night and then this morning I've been on the phone for several hours. Um, I, looked well, I, through sent the it, book. I sent it pretty, pretty late last night. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've looked through the contents of the book. There's one chapter that I can't quite get what it means. It's like number three or something. something. Hold on, let me, pull, let me pull that up here. Yeah. The outline. To open notes. The nature of creating real change. No. Something that's that's has... number three. Number two. What's number two? When emotions rule, behaviors are hijacked. Yeah. When emotions rule, what when behavior rules, emotions are hijacked. Yeah, that's that needs to be twisted around. I get what I know what it means. I'm not sure if people will understand what that that means. Emotions uh, are not hijacked. It it's consciousness is hijacked. It's shut down. The blood flow, literally, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. Is literally disabled. The amygdala okay, hijacking so, is a blood flow change that allows right, right. behavior to surface. Right. Which right. is the stimulations of emotions, and and the brain is also rewarded with dopamine. So, yeah, and, and of course with the chapter heading, I'm trying to keep it like A, yeah. really simple, and yeah. and B, something that makes people go, ooh, I want to find out more about this, right? Yeah. So well, I read it and I'm like, uh, I know what it means, but I'm not sure if anybody else. The, the reader will know what it means. Okay, yeah. all right. So I'm going to put a little star next to this and yeah. play with it a little bit more. Yeah. To... I mean, I, I knew what you were saying, but I was struggling to get, you know, I looked at it, you know, whenever it once, and I'm like, oh, it's a little weird. I'm not, I know yeah, what it, it means. I'll tell you what, yeah. if it's not clear to you, it's certainly not going to be clear to anybody else. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Okay. All right. All right. So, Good. so where are we right now then? So that, we're looking for one more chapter, right? Yeah, we need a chapter and an introduction, which what I was thinking I would do is use the the conversation with Annette because it's okay. you know very very benefit loaded. She's kind of like, I mean, I know there's no after, there's no arrived, but she's in a yeah. way kind of like, you know, the after her picture, yeah. you know. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. It's happy, good. you know. All right. So. Good. Okay. Good. All right. Good. When are you on your cruise? Um, we leave on Saturday, April the 18th, so almost oh. a month to go. I thought it was a lot closer to that. I know. I everybody it... says, Denise, aren't you on vacation yet? I'm like, I don't leave for over a month yet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so I'll definitely be able to, you know, get all this done and everything. Now, as far as um, Annette, I think she has like the first six chapters. And then she said, well, let's wait till we got them all. You yeah, know? okay. All right. Okay. 
So um, um, she's going to be doing an editing. Do you need me to do a final proofreading after that? Because like Please. editing was included in our agreement, but on the yeah. other hand, I can see you wanting an outside person wanting to go over it. Well, yeah, she's more in line with the term, you know, the terminology. I think she wants to make Just kind sure of accuracy. That Accuracy. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Sure. So yes, please, please, yes. A final edit. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. Right. That depending on how long it takes her, that it's possible that might not happen until I get back from the trip. We'll see. Okay. You know. Or, so. Well, it's going to be what it's going to be. You know. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Um, I will talk to you soon. Do you want to schedule? I'll probably have a chapter to you. We don't really have to talk about chapters, I don't think, yeah. anymore. But maybe we could talk in, say, a week and a half, just like here's where things are at, what's going on, right. how's this moving, you know, that kind of conversation. Let's do that. Let's, yeah, okay. yeah, let's do that. Okay. How so does... Let's, you, okay, all right, set an appointment. I was going to say leave it open for a week so you can, like, fine-tune better, but... You know, I'll I'll let you lead the way here. Like, what if we were to meet, say, the 27th? What day is that? That's a Friday. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. At our normal time, 10 o'clock your time? Yeah, yeah. Text me that as soon as you can so I can get that logged in my brain, please. Okay. I certainly will. All right. All right. right. Okay, I'll talk to you then. All righty. Bye then. You take care. Bye-bye. I'm good.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.